all language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphoric to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Alright, hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars From the Back to Tank. This is the Mandalorian edition. Here today, broadcasting live on TuneIn. If you're listening to this on Geek Out Saturday, that's RM Channel 001. Also iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Just search From the Back to Tank. I am Michael Flores, your host and in the studio. With me today to help us get through and sort through The Mandalorian is David. Hello, David. How's it going, everybody? Ready to rock and roll. Yeah, dude, we got a lot to get through. I'm I'm loving that we're saying that uh, for the first few episodes. We were just saying, all right, we're here, and we knocked out our episode discussions fairly quickly. But now we do, in fact, have a lot to sort through, specifically yes. with this episode here, Chapter 15, titled The Believer. Uh, this episode was directed by Rick Fumuya Yiwa and also written by Rick Fumuya Yiwa. And I apologize if I mispronounce that name. I am ignorant. <laughs> You're not the only one. I, I, I had a, issues actually in my notes trying to say his last name. And it's a shame because honestly, dude, this is a very well done episode on his part i think he did an exceptional job he did an exceptional job out of all the directors we've gotten so far and this is coming from me who went gaga over robert rodriguez yeah but when you take a look at like what he uh what uh famuya was able to do in this episode this is this is a proper way a director and a writer should approach the episode yeah i agree dave this um This episode was really good. There was quite a bit of attention put on the details. Yes. Specifically in the way of character development. Uh, There were moments that really helped in the way of characterization for Dejeron. We haven't been the biggest of fans when it comes to the helmet. As uh, in my opinion, it's prevented a lot of nuanced performances. We've we've lost a lot. Yes, that's. You can't argue that no matter how much you want to say, but, but, but body language. Yes. And to be perfectly fair, the body language has worked quite well, but to fully grasp the performance, the facial expressions are key. Yes. It's, it's what really gives you that payoff. That's why directors set up for complete coverage. You have the long shots, medium shots, and close-ups. And typically, the big performances, the more intimate or personal performances, are typically saved for that close-up. Yes. Many times, actors will ask where the camera is going to go during a specific take. Blocking out a scene is not just about aesthetics. It's about performance. And the reason why that actor wants to know is because whether you're Daniel Day-Lewis or... 
Vin Diesel, there's only so much you can put into every single take before you wear out. It's hard work. It's it's tiring yes. to perform, especially if the scene requires a lot of emotion. So that's why close-ups are usually the moments when the actors give it its all. And when you do long shots, they typically don't give you all those emotions because they know possibly the editor is going to punch in for a close-up. Yeah. So. And especially in this episode, dude, because... I give Familia a lot of credit because he was willing to tackle that whole idea, that concept of DeJaron removing his helmet. We finally get to actually tackle it. it. And honestly, this shows why we should see his face a bit more. Yeah. Because, but, but, but in the long run, Familia also gave some weight why he wears the yeah. helmet. And it actually helped sell the scene. Exactly. Yeah. And like that scene where he decides to remove the helmet, that's powerful. Dude, because absolutely. It, it, it encompasses, it, it shows the gravity of the moment because throughout the entire thing and throughout the entire season, we constantly harp at the importance of him wearing the helmet, how he is a believer. He's yeah. a believer in the way. But when when the chips are down and he he realizes that there's something more important to him than his own beliefs mm-hmm. he's willing to to forsake his beliefs exactly and, it, and in a lot of ways we didn't see grogu at all but the relationship between the jaren and grogu yeah just grew a hundred times again this episode because the jaren is Finding Grogu is more important than his own beliefs. Yeah. And that's why this director just knocked it out the park. Yeah. Uh, and I should say the the writer as well. Yeah. I mean, we haven't been. You're absolutely right, Dave. We have not been the biggest fan of keeping the helmet on as it does get in the way of nuance at times. However, just as you said, the writer of this episode used that aspect to his advantage. In the way of narrative purpose, it worked very well in this episode because it required to Jaren to take his helmet off. And this does a few things, Dave. Both instances, when DeJaron had to take his helmet off, they were moments of vulnerability for him. Yes. That alone aids with the narrative. You have the entire Mandalorian Zella aspect, right? Yeah. As you mentioned, being interwoven into DeJaron's characterization. So we as an audience completely understand how important not showing his faces to him. He's a true believer. He's a zealot. So when he decides to take his helmet off, we understand just how important getting this data on Moff Gideon is to him and tracking down Grogu. Suddenly, we understand what the stakes are for him. We understand how important this is to our character. And for the first time in 15 episodes, we are finally given true, true, meaningful character motivation. Yes. All because of the helmet situation. And I would like to think Favreau had planned this the entire time. Well, that's why, because I want to make sure when he does take it off, it's very important. <laughs> and if he's smart, he would claim that that's claim exactly that. why he did it. But let's be honest. He probably didn't think this far ahead. I don't think so. I think he laid laid the the breadcrumbs there, but 
not I don't to this think degree. he intended for the helmet to be such a big yes a, like yeah. oh when he takes his helmet off it's going to be very important because it's going to show his vulnerability, vulnerability and it's going to show the importance of his relationship between Grogu but this is why it's so important Dave and this is something we've been harping on since day one this is why it's very important to have a full writing room because writers like Fumuya Yiwa will help you flesh out your ideas. They'll take things that you've been working on. And this isn't a slight on Favaro. This is how TV should operate. And it has for years. You come up with the ideas of the showrunner, and then you have your team flesh out those ideas further. How would you ever poo-poo on an idea when someone says, hey, instead of one brain working on this, let's have six or seven and come up with something great. And that's the benefit. This episode is a perfect example of why you should have multiple writers in that room. Yes. Because they can sometimes see something that potentially the, the main writer or showrunner might not see. Maybe a different perspective. Maybe uh, Famuya Yiwa has some type of experience with religion. With you know, ideology, ideology and how important it can be for someone. And what does it take for you to shrug off the importance? What will it take for you to ignore your belief structure? The power of mythology, power of religion. This is like all things that basically anyone, anyone out there can relate to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And this contrasts the difference between duty this is where I was trying to get us to this contrasts the difference between duty or responsibility and the feelings about Grogu. This goes beyond this is the way yes. or he's been quested because that's weak. Yeah. It like, is. It's great for a start, but 15 episodes in, we need to understand truly why is he doing this? It, it can't just be because this is the way or he's been quested. This is no longer simply about duty. And that's what this aspect in this episode shows. Yes. It's now clear that this is no longer simply about duty. This is personal for him. Yeah. And I love the fact when we get to that point, it's such a great exclamation point in the very end. When Moff Gideon gets the same exact message he gave to Jaren, the Jaren returns the favor by actually giving him the exact same message and you can get the weight of yep. the implications of this. Yeah. We've always said there's something personal between Moff. We even said in the last episode, there's something personal between Moff Gideon and Grogu. We could see that. We could see how he interacts with Grogu. Mm-hmm. The Jaren basically almost has the same values of Moff Gideon, but in that final exclamation point, his statement seems more powerful than even Gideon's. And Dave, that wouldn't have worked if he didn't take his helmet off. Yes. That scene at the end would have felt weird. Like, okay, he's really important to you. Great. But the fact that we saw him go through the motions and you can see him struggling with him. He didn't want to take his mask off. He didn't want to take off the Mandalorian suit. Oh, it, it, you get this. And I give a lot of props to Pedro Pascal because just like what you said earlier, it's all about body language, right? Well, we finally got to see Pedro Pascal use his face, and it was such a tense scene 
because you feel you feel the humiliation of DeGerrans because he's looking around and he feels vulnerable as yeah. he's surrounded by all these people. And I love uh, – I've already stated that I love the character of Mayfield. The The moment that basically was so awesome was Mayfield basically just at the very end saying, hey, I didn't see your face. Here you go. Put your, put your helmet on. Yeah. And, and it's almost like this understanding that Mayfield says, I understand that that is important to you. I didn't see anything. What well, all sells the idea that what he, the decision he made was, wasn't an easy decision for him. And yeah. ultimately it pays off in the way of characterization. And you're right about Pedro Pascal. Dave, I actually had that part written in my notes from the moment he took his helmet off. This is why we need to see Pedro Pascal a little more because from the moment they had him take the helmet off. So it was put back on. He was like a fish out of water, completely yes. out of his element. Yeah. It was a cool allegory as well for his vulnerability and potential emotional scars from his childhood. As we know, uh, he was found as a child. His, his family was killed. Who knows what type of trauma that puts on a kid. Keeping his face hidden is a way for him to hide, to feel safe. And once that is removed, he loses that safety, that yes. comfort. Because I, I challenge any fan of Mandalorian. The, I, I, I challenge any fan. That moment when he takes off the helmet, up to this point, I feel that all the fans feel that the Jaren is like a badass character. He's a tough-as-nails character, a gunslinger. But at that moment, you, I challenge any fans watching this, you don't feel so sorry for him because you, you look at him and he looks humiliated like it's not just that Dave. He just, it just, he just doesn't know how to act. It's yeah. almost, it's almost as if we were asked to take our pants off and walk around outside <laughs> in you a know? weird sort of way. Yeah. I mean, it kind of is that's also a very vulnerable, a vulnerable scenario. Feeling. Yeah. So it, dude, it was good. It I was really, good. really dug it. I would probably say that Rick Famuya Yiwa probably wrote the best script of the season because of how much it says. This is a guy that understands the nuances of subtext while pushing the plot forward. And his directing was good too, because he really got what he needed from Pascal. And not just Pascal, uh, but also the breast of the cast, the breast of the cast, the breast. breast. I I, I like the breast of the cast, (laughs) (laughs) the rest of the cast. I mean, like you had, uh, I think it's Bill, I don't want to say Bill Burr, yeah. Bill Burr. But Bill Burr and uh did a fantastic job being the par- being the foil to the Mandalorian this episode. And I really dug what was being told in their story throughout the entire entire thing. That ride of them in the transport does so much. That needs to be a ride at Disneyland. <laughs> Riding that gigantic tank. Yeah, let us punch people too. <laughs> But that whole ride, dude, says a lot about the universe of Star Wars in its current in its current uh, current form. Yeah, I mean, like my favorite moment, my favorite line was Mayfield looking at him and saying, "The Empire, the New Republic, to these people, you're all the same. You're just basically people that invaded their land." And then he goes on to say, "If you were raised in Mandalore, 
and you were raised in, you believed in one thing, you were raised in Alderaan, you believed in one thing. Well, both of those are gone now. Yeah, well, Dave, it goes right back to what you and I have been saying. Uh, that dialogue sequence you're talking about between Mayfeld and DeJaron. Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds a lot like our discussions during our Rebels breakdowns when we were talking about Agent Callus. Yes. What does it really mean to be the good side or the bad, bad side? side. And, the big, and the big picture of war, typically each side fights for the side that controls the areas they grew up in. You can't control what side of a border you were born on. War is typically not black and white. Yeah. It's more complicated than simply good versus evil. And this is a huge element. And that's why I really love that moment as well between Mayfield and DeJaron, because it's very consistent with, with many of the themes that Disney had implemented way back in 2013 when they took over Star Wars. I mean, we had applauded this direction they were taking within the comics, the books, uh, Rogue One, uh, The Last Jedi, Rebels, Resistance. They all did similar things. Delving into that gray area, exploring the gray areas of combat and war and showing us that it's not as simple as hey, good versus evil, which worked great for the original trilogy. But as we continue to progress and grow and flesh out the world of Star Wars, we got to get more into those um, complicated areas, the more adult scenarios. And yeah. I say adult uh, because many of us have matured since the 70s. There's a reason why movies have changed. Uh, good versus evil is very simplistic. Oh, yeah. And it, it's awesome. You take that dialogue, right, between DeJaron and Mayfield, and then you you parallel it with the the conversation between Mayfield and Hess, who who is played by Richard Brake, who did a fantastic job as like this over the top. You want to smack him in the face commander because he's willing to sacrifice anybody to win the day. He's. He, the way he views the soldiers and then Mayfield is like saying, yeah, you know, those, the, those soldiers that you sacrificed at that one, uh, I think they were talking about operation cinder. And then Hess is just smiling and go, yeah, well, at least we won. And it was like, dude, when, when Mayfield blasts him, I just stood up and clapped. I clapped it. I stood off my sofa and I just clapped. I you said, stood that was on your sofa. Yeah, that was awesome. You were Tom Cruise. I was cheering. I was cheering. I was going, yes, that that's how you do that heroic moment. That just shows not just the, the story of Mayfield, but the story of star Wars, how everything is not as black and white as we all want to believe, you know, how it's all the force, the Jedi and the Sith. no, there's a really gray element going on where basically people are just being used by the empire, but they, and also some people by, like, the by the rebel Alliance. by, by the Republic yeah. Yeah. and they don't care. <laughs> yeah. And and that's why the real deciding factor of whether you're a good or bad person is what you do after you find out the truth about the side you're dedicated to. Yeah. And that's what they did with Mayfeld. They used him to explore some political philosophical thoughts and a variety of topics, essentially saying war is ugly and complicated. Yeah. And this bit is what really made Mayfeld an intriguing character. We find out, as you mentioned that he was an Imperial officer. Yes, we knew that, but he was an Imperial officer that left the Imperial ranks because he witnessed how the empire didn't care about the thousands of dead Imperial troops to them. It was more than an acceptable yes. amount of collateral damage. 
And I mean, that was just a, a powerful moment. And it was a very, it was very consistent with, as I mentioned, the themes that they had Im- implemented or started to implement in 2013. And this story with Mayfield just brings that back. We got away from it a bit. I know they did it with resistance and Tam as well. Yes. Uh, how she believed the empire was good because she only witnessed the good things that helped their planet. It gave their father a job. And even with resistance, which wasn't a great show. No, it was. I think well, it's the, very the main, clear. We weren't fans of resistance, but that was one of the strengths of resistance. The yes. fact that they were like, once again, exploring the gray area of when a nation or I should say a universe is at war. And the difference between resistance and uh, how Mandalorian did it, it's similar, similar storytelling. The, the problem with resistance was they pulled back. They were afraid to go that distance. Yeah, well, while while in this one, Famuya is like going, no, I'm going to go that distance and give you a story that delves into that because it's important. It's you have to set up substance at that point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mayfeld was, without a doubt, a highlight to the episode. And based on what they did with this character, it does seem like we might get more of him down the road. You don't spend this kind of time on a character unless there's a strategic reason behind that. Well, especially since he, they showed that not only his story, but the fact that his character has a lot of good skills. I mean, like... I'm sorry. Like computer hacker skills. <laughs> but like when, when uh, Dune looks over at uh, Mayfield after he takes the shot to blow up the transport mm-hmm. and she says, Oh shoot, that's a really nice shot. That's pretty impressive. You almost get this feeling that Mayfield will become part of Dune's crew down the line. Possibly. I mean, we know that the future of star Wars is, is pretty bright on the streaming side of things. Yes. In fact, we should probably briefly talk about the future of the Mandalorian. Uh, In our latest Star Wars update show, we discuss various projects that Lucasfilm has greenlit. But the most important of the 10, yeah, 10 new projects when it comes to Mando are the official Mandalorian spinoffs, which is Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic. Yes both of which will be running in either parallel to the events in the Mandalorian or very close as they have both been said, have let me backtrack Jesus. Both of which will be running in either parallel to the events in the Mandalorian or very close as they have both been said to be in the same time frame as the Mandalorian. And this certainly opens a lot more potential And now when we look back in retrospect, Dave, we take a look at the last four episodes, the way they've opened up the universe. It's no longer small, no longer small. The first season of the Mandalorian was smaller in scale. Yes. Yes. They had grand visual effects and had some great action sequences. But what I mean by small is it was more closed uh, we really weren't exposed to the goings on of the universe. There were brief illusions and a little wink, wink, nod, nods. But for the most part, it was very nuanced in the way of uh, world building. This season hasn't held back since Bo-Katan was introduced. 
it's been balls to the wall since Bo-Katan. Because then we had Ahsoka. Then we had Boba Fett. Then we have the introduction of what Moff Gideon's real plan in, includes, you know, pertaining to clones and midichlorians. They're not holding back anymore. And you get the sense that during season one, Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm were like, all right, well, you know what? This is what you can do. Don't you fucking dare veer away from this. Like, we don't know what we're going to do. So please stay right here. Keep it as as tight as possible. But this season, you feel that Lucasfilm feels a lot more confident with the Mandalorian. And they're willing to let the writers now and John Favreau and Filoni, I should say, to start exploring the broader area. And that's makes sense now when you look at the inclusion of Ahsoka and the Rangers of the New Republic. And apparently, Dave, reports are also saying that both Ahsoka, Rangers of the New Republic, and the Mandalorian will run parallel to the point, or I should say, until there's a payoff, which will be one connected climatic event. So they are working towards a much bigger story, Dave. Yes. And that's really exciting, honestly. I mean, I hate to say it, dude. Me and you, when we first first started this, we poo-pooed the idea that Star Wars going to a streaming service idea instead of a feature film idea. I think that the only way we could get what we're getting now, which is that epic story, is if we did the streaming service idea. I don't think we could ever get this in film form just because of like the amount of substance that you're dealing with. Yeah. You have Ahsoka, you have now the galactic Rangers, you have the Mandalorian. And just like you said, season one Mandalorian was really small scale. It was a small, very personal story here in season two. We're seeing more elements of the outside world around the Mandalorian himself. And this is what the show has been missing, in my opinion. I, I didn't really see a future. Like the Mandalorian just felt kind of on its own. On and, its I, own. and I to- totally understand why they did that in the first season. And I'm fine with that. But and I'm glad that season two has felt a little bigger and they have opened up the floodgates, essentially. Here we are, Dave, watching a TV show that is now canon-defining to Star Wars, something that I honestly didn't think we'd get, you know, with The Mandalorian. And I'm still, I still have my hesitations, I'll be honest, when it comes to streaming. I doesn't have my complete confidence yet. I am 100% of the thought that Star Wars belongs on the big screen, and it should always be on the big screen. That's the future of Star Wars, in my opinion. You cannot sustain a franchise like this by simply a streaming service. You just, in terms of sheer dollars, yeah, the, the money alone will hinder the growth of the Star Wars franchise. You cannot sustain a behemoth like Star Wars on just streaming. And people may argue and say, well, subscribers, subscribers, you will never be given the budget on a $7 a month subscription that is required to shoot the type of things you see in a movie. Exactly. No matter how advanced they get, you just will not be able to do it. And sure, you can point to Game of Thrones. Oh, $150 million an episode. That is extremely fucking rare. Yes. And Game of Thrones 
was on HBO, which is $14 a month and is a tried and true brand. Disney is a tried and true brand. Disney Plus is an infant. Yes. So my opinion is that the future of Star Wars, if we want it to be sustainable, has to eventually get back to the big screen. They need to have a few big screen successes. And then the streaming side can definitely fill in the gaps and give us everything that we fans want. You know, indulge us within these streaming services. Absolutely. These streaming shows, I should say. Oh, yeah. And uh, I agree. I mean... I'm a bit more on the boat than you at this point, because I know in the last episode, I mentioned that basically I'm really gun gun shy and hesitant jumping in all on board on the Mandalorian. However, with this episode and then with the roadmap that we now are given, I I'm, I'm all in. I am all in on the boat I'm willing to actually... But you acknowledge that it's not sustainable, right? Yes. I acknowledge that I can't see how it's sustainable, just like what you said. But... I mean, merchandising will definitely help with that, for sure. <laughs> merchandising will Without help. a doubt. And it now makes sense why we have Mando Mondays. Mando Mondays. <laughs> how many more times can I rape you? <laughs> here's another toy. Here's, Congratulations. Here's Mando with the black gloves. Here's Mando with white gloves. <laughs> Dude, here's I can't... Cara Dune with some nice titties. Here's Cara Dune with no titties. And see, w- w- back a long time ago, we made fun of Star Wars Friday. Now it's Mando Mondays. Mando, Mando, Mando Monday. <laughs> and it's Mando Mondays is worse than Star Wars Friday. Well, Star Wars Friday is once every, what, three years? Yeah, movies? once every yeah. three years. <laughs> And then suddenly Mando Mondays is like every freaking Mando week. Monday, every Monday, every Monday, Mando Monday. Here's a sweater. <laughs> Here's a sweater. Here's a Grogu sweater. <laughs> you might have bought one already when I sent the child, but now he has a name, so you need a new one. Grogu. You know the the the, the sad part is, dude. They just unfortunately Disney knows us well. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I will for Star Wars merch. I will gladly spread my legs. Yeah, I'll help them out. I'll make it easy for them. I'll spread my ass cheeks as well. (laughs) I will add the lube. Oh, you know, I will lube myself. Okay, there you go. Give me some Mando Monday, please. (laughs) Mando Monday. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of people agree with us, Dave. When it comes to uh, Pedro Pascal's performance, a lot of the more academic sites are praising his performance as they should. This is what poor Pedro Pascal has been wanting. This is why we probably heard rumors that he's a little miffed that he's not showing himself. Pedro Pascal is an amazing actor. It's one of the reasons why I got super excited when they had cast him because he's really good. Does this mean we'll get more Pedro Pascal without the helmet? We will see, right? I can't imagine him being a zealot forever. That's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, a, like, it's a cult, bro. Like you can't, you can't be on board a, a cult. Well, the question becomes: Is when, when is this the is this episode the episode where we could say now we're seeing cracks in the Mandalorian's belief? Yeah, 
where he's willing to actually remove the helmet for Grogu. Well, does that shake his belief? Once he starts discovering the other, the other belief structures connected to the Mandalorian order, I feel like he'd be more inclined to do so because when he realizes that his honor isn't solely based on covering his face and yet there's an entire Mandalorian people that don't believe that I would see him eventually going to that side of things. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, if we make it work like we did in this episode and we just do it occasionally, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. There's also some rumors pertaining to uh, Thrawn and that he is actually very important to the upcoming plans for streaming. Apparently, there are tons of rumors saying that the connected storyline by way of Ahsoka, the Mandalorian, and Rangers of the New Republic will lead to Thrawn. Thrawn. And honestly, dude, I'm really happy with that. Because Thrawn should be kind of like a Thanos type of character. But the thing is this. You can't have Thrawn be the only villain because he's not really a villain. And if he is, people don't really understand Thrawn. Thrawn is much like the Mandalorian. It's about honor. It's about commitments, obligations, things that he said he would do, he will do. But he's not a bad guy no he's not an evil guy if you go back to his origin stories you'll quickly realize that if the rebel alliance had been the first ones to find him on a planet he might have become a part of the rebel alliance yeah he only became a part of the empire because they're the ones who stumbled upon him and he wanted to use them for his own gains and when it came to his people so if they Use Amaral Thrawn in Rebels. They did a really good job because they actually balanced that pretty yes. well. They is he a villain or is he just a threat? And that's the thing. I think now on paper, yes, he is the antagonist. With yes, when you're writing a story, he's the antagonist. But is he truly a bad guy? That's what they need to make sure they they do well on the live action. Yes, because he's not a bad guy. He's just a guy with another view. And now that he knows the atrocities that the Empire has been involved with, it'll be interesting to see how he views the Empire. That's why I was a little disappointed that they called him Grand Admiral Thrawn. Because I was hoping that now that the jig is up and all of the Empire's secrets are now known to him, you know, it, it, I, was, I would, I don't know, as a fan of Thrawn, I would think that he would be like, all right, later. Empire, you guys are some sons of bitches. But here's the thing, though. I could, I, I could, I could accept the fact that he is right now ranked as Grand Admiral Thrawn solely because all the other leadership would probably look at him and say, "Yeah, you're going to be the 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 Grand Admiral of this uh, of our army at this point because you're the best man for the job." type of thing you know so him being called grand admiral it'll be interesting to see how they portray him but it's I'm, all about it's all about execution execution yeah, yeah and i'm really hoping that basically they do play into the fact that 
Thrawn is just thrust into being Grand Admiral because he's the best. And all the other leaders realize this, that if they don't make him the leader, they're just going to flounder. And it makes sense because the Empire right now is a dying is a is a dying uh, organization. They need someone to help rejuvenate them so they would turn to their elite to try to bring them up and try to keep them on life support, you know? So you would turn to a character like Thrawn who, let's face it, he is probably the best tactician, most brilliant tactician in Star Wars, probably rivaling even, I'm going to say, a Palpatine. I mean, in the different. book, in the different, book, a lot different, but yeah, yeah, in the book, Palpatine sees him. Yeah, he's not conniving. That's the difference. Palpatine, I don't think Thrawn would have been able to do what Palpatine did with the galaxy. But Palpatine saw in the book when you actually read it, Palpatine actually sees Thrawn as almost like an equal when it comes to intelligence, as a strategist. Yeah, he sees the intelligence. And that's what kind of brings up the. Uh, the rivalry between Thrawn and Vader because because <laughs> Thrawn looks at Vader and he knows he can outwit Vader. And in a lot of ways, Vader knows that Thrawn's better at this than he is. <laughs> That's what makes him angry. Yeah. All right, Daisy. This, this does bring us to the end of our discussion for today. Unless you can think of anything else that you'd like to mention before we close out today's show. If not, why don't you give me your final thoughts and your RMD score? Final thoughts on this episode. This is by far the best episode in Mandalorian, just executed wise. I know I said that basically the last episode was my favorite, but just looking at it technically, I cannot, I cannot come up with anything bad about this episode. Technically it was written very well. It was written tight. There was a story behind it. It was directed brilliantly, in my opinion. So the visuals that Famuya chose to convey his story was very well done. And I'm actually going to surprise everyone and say this is the Rayman score for this one is 100. It's 100. And this is the episode that fully puts me on board behind The Mandalorian now. This is what we should have gotten, like, at least more towards the beginning of the series. Yeah. But I it it is kind of funny to me that basically again another director and another writer outshines John Favreau. Well, and that's I why I hate saying that, but it's true. And that's why I'm not 100% sold yet that Mandalorian has fixed all its problems. Because unless John Favreau and Filoni can accept that Favreau needs to just be the showrunner and write maybe one episode, we're going to continue to have those problems. That's why it's even more important for me for next episode because they have to stick the landing now because it's the season finale. And you're coming off of a very well-done episode that sets the season finale up brilliantly. Mm -hmm. So now you have to stick the landing. Yeah. All right, Dave. Well, I'm going to give this episode an RMD score of 99%. Yes, I did say it's the best episode of the season so far. And that wouldn't really make sense since chapter 14 was also given a 99% by me. <laughs> but in retrospect, when I went back and rewatched the episode, I was, I think, a little bit of fanboyness 
crept in. Yeah. Um, because it's not a 99%. Chapter 14 is probably more like maybe a 94%. There are some issues within the writing, of course. Directing-wise, it's amazing. But Favreau made some pretty clumsy writing decisions in that episode. <laughs> the jetpack being one. I, I went back and watched it. it, it there's a lot of things that hinge on that backpack, on that jetpack. And I understand why he did it because it's clumsy. If the Mandalorian had a jetpack, he would have been able to rescue Grogu. Grogu. And if he could rescue Grogu, then Moff Gideon would not have Grogu leading into the season finale. Yes. There's some bad writing choices by Favreau, of course, of course, in that episode. So in retrospect, I'd probably give it more like a 93, 94. And that's why this episode is a 99%. We didn't have any of those issues. No. I watched this episode twice. The directing, the writing, everything works. This is a perfect example of the direction we should continue. We should continue to take when it comes to the Mandalorian. And that will do it for today. Be sure to head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $3 to $5 a month and gain access to additional back to tank discussions. When you pledge, you will instantly gain access to thousands of hours of additional Star Wars podcasts. That's right. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs>